Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Purple Row Pebble Report Podcast. We are here to present only the finest minor league coverage of your Colorado Rockies. We are here to have an absolute blast doing it. We've got a jam-packed one here for you today. My name is Justin Wick. I am an editor for Purple Row, joined as always by prospect guru, co-host, Purple Row staff writer, Mr. Kenneth Weber. We're back in business. We've got Futures Games excitement coming together. We've got MLB draft stuff. We've got all of our routine minor league coverage that we've got on a daily basis. And we've got the absolute legend joining us in the process. Kenneth, how you doing, my friend? I think legend is a bit of an overstatement, but I'll take it. Oh, stop uh, it, man. <laughs> I'm good, man. We are, we're 10 days away from All-Star Weekend. Like, it's, it's coming up pretty quick, man, so it's exciting times. Herman obviously, just did his thing. It was a great series against the, the Pirates, so baseball is fun in Colorado right now, and that hasn't That's really right. been the case for, for a bit here, so It is very surreal, especially taking a look at, you know, Colorado being awarded the All-Star Game as late into at least 2021 as we saw that it was. All of a sudden, seeing we've got the Nolan Arenado return to Colorado here in this weekend set. We've got the MLB draft hosted in Colorado. We've got, of course, all of the All-Star Game festivities. Just a good time to be a Colorado baseball fan, man. This is Honestly, this is probably going to be the most jam-packed podcast that we have, um, at least to this point. We're back for number four. On this episode, we're going to cover the breakout performance of Loe Fresno's Ezekiel Tovar. We're here to drop some insights on top performers across all minor league levels. But first, we're here to provide comprehensive analysis on that marquee event that is making its way to Denver for the first time ever. The MLB draft will begin on July 11th, live from the Mile High City. They've got it at the Belco Theater over by the Convention Center. You know, I feel like this is pretty cool. I could be like one of those hardos in the NFL draft, just... Showing up watching baseball prospects. Show up in black and purple face paint, booing <laughs> the number eight overall pick. Some poor 18-year-old who has his name called and a diehard is like, no, it's not Kumar. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I just dumbfounded watching the NFL draft and seeing the reception that some of those people have. Dude, they, they just live, they live and die with those draft picks. And, like, it's, it's funny because you'll get the notoriety of, like, a Jets fan. They always have the camera ready to go on them because <laughs> they're just pulling their hair out. So I don't think we're at that point yet. But it is pretty cool that they're including it as part of the All-Star festivities. It adds a little bit more to it, and I think it's the right call to have it after the College World Series. That was always kind of weird, seeing some guy in the middle of a game being like, <laughs> oh, he's two for four, and by the way, he just got drafted by the Royals with a 14th no overall pick. You're like, you imagine cool, standing on first and getting drafted, wouldn't you know? Yeah, you'll find out in two hours, but congratulations face i see on tv <laughs> i always um, wondered what's the appropriate way to go about that do you tell him in the dugout do you wait until after the game i mean he's probably thinking about it in the wake of what's going on you know fortunately we, we just avoid those disastrous situations altogether now i guess yeah it, it makes a lot more sense it's cleaner to be doing it this way um but just the fact that it happens to be in colorado for the first time that's pretty sweet so i'm excited about it if there's any of you diehards that are looking for something to do on... Fu- of course, the Futures game is the same day as day one, so I'm trying to figure out where do you go. I mean, it makes sense. Go check out the Futures game, you know, actual action taking place. But, like, seriously, like, Denver is going to be the epicenter of baseball for, like, yeah. a Yeah, it's like a baseball Comic-Con that's essentially rolling <laughs> through right now. Like, you're, you're going to have the, uh, the convention center, the fan fest rolling around on the floor. That's right. And then you're going to have the... Uh, the segments, you know, the live chats, which is the the draft right now, and then you can go see a performance, which is the futures game. 
a couple miles down the road. And then stick around and you get some celebrity softball action right yeah. after. You're all good to go. <laughs> Watch a 60-year-old John Elway try to run. That, that's fun. <laughs> Just so much excitement going on, man. And seriously, like, I mean, this has been a pretty cool moment, especially, I mean, us, us writing for Purple Row. There's been, I'll say this respectfully, there's been some some tough periods of time where you're struggling to put content together. You know, believe me, in the middle of a pandemic when you're trying to come up with articles on week 18 of no action or whatever mm-hmm. it was. I feel like this has been, we are very spoiled this year. So by all means, for all of you guys that are checking out all of our content, thank you guys for making it as exciting as it has been. And it's only going to get more exciting over these next couple weeks. I'm going to be devastated as soon as the All-Star game is over. But you know what? We're going to make the most out of it while we've got it. And this is pretty high time to be following along. Um, Anyways, what we're going to go, we'll cover all of the just kind of a draft preview on what we're looking at. The Rockies will be selecting eighth overall. The first pick of the draft belongs to the dismal performing Pittsburgh Pirates that had the worst record in baseball last year. But hey, the upside, you always get the first pick if you got the worst record. Um, You cannot trade draft picks, so we can't expect Kumar Rocker or Jack Leiter to be coming to Colorado in the, unless there's a rare exception, but let's say they actually drop far enough. I don't know about Kumar. Maybe. (laughs) Jack Leiter's a a hard no. There's no way he's making it past four. But Kumar? Maybe. (laughs) There's yeah, a lot funny. more possibility now than heading into the season. That's true. The door might actually be open, believe it or not. And in the actual case that Kumar Rocker drops to number eight, you know, I'm going to be probably having to walk down to the Belco Theater to figure out what's going on. <laughs> uh, that might be worth leaving the Futures game for if it's happening at the same time. Um, yeah. Anyways, the Rockies do not have a pick in the competitive balance round A this year. Um, the, for those of you that may not know, the way that the MLB draft is set up, they have all 30 teams that select in round one, and then there's a competitive balance round between round one and round two, so it's technically called round A. The Rockies did pick in that last year. That's where they were able to pick up the catcher, Drew Romo, which we covered in the last podcast. Um, the Rockies do select in competitive balance round B this year, so they'll follow through round one, round A, Round two, round B, and then they'll go three, four, five, all the way down to the shortened configuration. It's not quite as long of a draft as it used to be now that there is cutback on one minor league level. But we've got pretty marquee selections. Anytime that you're picking in the top ten, you got a pretty good idea on what's going on. And we've got a pretty good idea of the general representation of a few players that really could be getting selected with the first ten picks. We've got plenty of pitchers. We've got high school pitchers of the likes of Jackson Job out of Oklahoma City. We've got all kinds of different just kind of taking a look at collegiate pitchers. Even if you go down, projected with the ninth pick is Ty Madden, right-hander from Texas that we saw a little bit from in the College World Series. And right around that eighth pick, there is a projection by MLB.com. They say that the Rockies are going to be selecting a shortstop out of high school, similar to the likes of... I guess Ezekiel Tovar kind of. I get he's an international guy, but similar age. They're looking at Brady House, who is a shortstop. So, of course, these projections, they're kind of a hollow representation. I remember we were looking at, I believe, the guy that there was a guy selected second overall from Arkansas, Heston Kerstad, last year. Mm -hmm. He was projected to go like eight or ninth, and then he climbed to the second overall pick. Zach Veen, of course, was projected third or fourth. He dropped down enough to number eight when the Rockies were able to select him last year. And there's going to be a lot of moving parts, so don't necessarily think this is a dead set list. Of course, anybody familiar with the draft will know that kind of thing. 
But what would you, if this if the chalk holds on this projected top ten on what MLB.com thinks? Would you be opposed to the Rockies going out and getting a shortstop out of high school, or would you prefer to see one of these marquee college pitchers come together? Um, I think you go for the best player available uh, first and foremost. And when you brought up Heston Kierstad, uh, there's a signability aspect that comes into it, and the Rockies not having that competitive balance pick sandwich in between the first and second rounds means that they don't have to kind of spread out their draft pool their slot value to be able to afford two good players in the top 50 picks um, or the top you know 30 35 picks so they can they can splurge a little bit on signing whoever they pick in eight i think that i mean brady house is the the common name that comes into it but there's a lot of high school shortstops littered within this top 10 marcelo meyer is kind of the consensus one with the way the Pirates at least have been leaning, but the talent is you know way up there to justify the consideration in the top pick. But you also have Jordan Lawler and Khalil Watson along with House all selected within the top eight on a lot on a lot of mock drafts. So um, House has been such a popular name attached to the Rockies that it kind of seems like that's probably the way it will go if he's still there. Um, he has shown off really, really well in a lot of showcases for a couple of years. So he ended the season as possibly the 1-1 guy on a lot of initial mock drafts and top prospect boards. So the talent is there. I think, you know, he's kind of, it's benefiting the Rockies that he's had a bit of a slow 2021. Um, his high school season itself wasn't overly impressive. So that's what's kind of bringing him to that eight range for the Rockies. So it could be, a steal relatively speaking because there's only seven guys ahead of him but he could be the best out of the top eight so um personally i think whoever they feel is the best player and they go with great do it that way i like the idea of ty madden to be honest he really seems like john gray 2.0 to me and (laughs) i would absolutely sign up again for another john gray and then as we mentioned at the outset if kumar rocker falls I mean, you have to make a hard decision. We didn't expect to get Zach Veen last year. And then all of a sudden, it's our turn to pick. And, hey, that name is still there. How can you not do that? It could kind of be the same way with Kumar this year. You know, maybe the Diamondbacks just go nutty and they decide to go with Matt McClain, who they drafted in the first round, I think it was 2018, and he didn't sign. And they're like, we're getting our guy. Hell or high water. We're getting him this time. And they (laughs) select him, and now Kumar is falling. So... There could be that surprise that occurs, but uh, whoever the best player is in the Rockies' eyes, that's who you go with. That's that's I, the, the minimum requirement on my end. Sure, and I think you hit the nail on the head exactly with that kind of thing, especially when you don't necessarily have to worry about that selection in the competitive balance round. I mm-hmm. remember when the Rockies went out and signed Case Williams in the draft last year, I felt like that was very much a protective measure to ensure that the pocketbook was available, that they could truly go out and sign Zach Veen and Drew Romo. Yep. And nothing against Case Williams, of course. He just got, he was traded in the Jeff Hoffman deal, went to Cincinnati, and he's actually been doing pretty well this year. Um, I think that when you look at the best available kind of positioning, I think that we kind of saw a little bit of at least recent draft history being exposed, particularly in the past couple weeks when we saw that Riley Pint retired, when we saw that Ryan Castellani was DFA'd, still in the organization, but another high school draftee that didn't necessarily pan out the way we were looking to. If you look at the projected top 10 in MLB.com's rankings, 
There aren't many high school pitchers that are available, which might be a good sign from the Rockies standpoint. If you go through recent history of first-round picks, of course, Kyle Freeland is a marquee guy that you'll look at, John Gray in that same capacity. Um, I remember when we went out and got Zach V, and I felt like you couldn't pass on him because he was such a highly touted prospect, and the fact that he fell as far as he did, the Rockies, I felt like, didn't really have much of a chance to pass on him. But at the same time, there were pitchers like Reed Detmers out of Louisville that could have been a really prime candidate that you could have selected. And that's not to say that anybody regrets taking Zach Veen to this point. But when you realize that there is a potential ace in a rotation that could be selected right there, I generally, my personal take on this, if Kumar Rocker is available, you cannot pass on that guy in large part because he's just really fun to watch too, all right? Selfishly, yep. I kind of want that guy to come here. Oh, yeah. But then I I do wonder, though, if Ty Madden, he's projected at number nine. Now, he could go as high as the top five as we have seen with these projections. A lot of variance and a lot of different criteria with what teams evaluate players on. But if he, Ty Madden is available, that would be kind of a guy that I think would be certainly a candidate because he's proven himself. He fought his way through a COVID year, was cementing himself throughout the College World Series. Also, a little wild card, Troy Tulowitzki is an assistant coach at Texas right now. So I don't know if that's I, – I understand he's probably not working directly with the pitchers. It might not have any influence, but – can't help but wonder, too, is there any hidden meaning behind that kind of thing that we don't really know about? <laughs> An omen. I'm sure he's putting good words about the Rockies in his players' ears. Yeah. yeah about okay. such good terms. <laughs> it, it, well, it's, it's a funny coincidence, for sure. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, too, because the last thing I would imagine, you know, you're not going to badmouth anybody. Yeah, you don't want to go there. Well, you don't have a choice if you get drafted at that yeah. point. Right. <laughs> No, it's it's something that I thought was kind of just fun to follow along with, and I think that it could be high time for the Rockies to be able to go out and get a little bit more of a refined pitcher. We did see that with Carl Kaufman out of Michigan, Sam Weatherly, Chris McMahon, a lot of recent pretty premier college pitchers. I realized that it wasn't necessarily taken in a first-round setting, but... Last year, I was thinking when Zach Veen wasn't going to fall as low as he was, I figured it was either going to be Max Meyer, who got taken with the Marlins. He was third overall. Yeah. The Marlins went up and got him. He jumped I guess, high. Yeah, no kidding. And then I didn't think Asa Lacey was going to drop that far. He, of course, did not drop that far. Rocky's unable to take him. The Padres took Emerson. Or, I'm sorry, the Mariners took Emerson Hancock. A couple different, just seeing the way that the draft was really working out, I felt like... There was a heavy priority for a lot of teams to go out and get these marquee pitchers. And then realizing, you know, the Marlins are not in the top 10 this year as far as draft picks are concerned. A lot of those teams that were able to go out and get their top 10 soon-to-be hopeful ace type of thing, I feel like they're not really in the mix anymore. But that doesn't mean that people are going to stay averse to that kind of thing. I think it's very kind of captivating to see that it is a lot more collegiate-heavy pitching at this point in time, which I think could do the Rockies well. I am weary because, boy, you know, I, I'm hesitant to try to take a look at the high school settings, but at the same time, they had a more comprehensive body of work in 2020. They could easily be a little bit more refined as opposed to Zach Veen and Drew Romo of a year ago. They only had such a limited high school season, and now they're just entering pro ball over a year later type of thing. But I'm hopeful, and I'm thinking, honestly, if it were up to me, I would take a look at Kumar Rocker and Ty Madden. That's not to say that's going to work out. That's not to say it's going to pan out. Of course, you know, we've got a long way to go on these kind of things. But if it ends up being the thing that John Gray is soon on his way out, let's say if the Rockies cash in their chips and see what they can get out of Herman Marquez, 
I think that it would make at least rational sense to be able to try to bolster what the pitching staff is going to look at long term. And I would really think it would be cool if there's somebody that we can put into the discussion kind of quickly of who's going to kind of rival Ryan Rollison near the top of the draft projections. I think that could definitely do the Rockies well. But at the same time, you know, you're picking number eight. It really can't go wrong, at least on paper at the beginning. There's really not a whole lot that you can feel bad about. I say that maybe there is. Yeah, I guess that's kind of an oversimplification of the whole thing. But yeah, I do the think images that precede disaster. <laughs> Famous last that? words. You're picking eight. Nothing can go wrong. <laughs> 2014. You're picking four. What could go wrong? I mean, I'm trying to think, like, as far as Denver draft history, what was, like, the biggest, like, what the hell just happened moment? I mean, uh, I mean Greg Broncos Reynolds. Went out. Yeah, that's true. Greg Reynolds Broncos went out there. and got Tim Tebow. That was that yeah. was a candidate, I guess. I mean, that kind of panned out, I guess. I, I don't, actually, I don't we're know. Not even, we're There's not a lot of circus attached to that. Yeah, that's, that's a dangerous topic to be bringing up on a baseball show. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let, let's do just a little hypothetical with it. Uh, if you're sitting at eight and Rocker and House are both sitting there, who do you take? I would, I would probably take Rocker just because of the lineage of Vanderbilt alone. Sure. I think that it's a lot of professional ready pitchers as far as David Price and Sonny Gray, just to name a couple of them. I think that just the system there is very much, they seem to really take care of their pitchers, at least in a college setting. And I thought that that was kind of on full display throughout the college world series, which was fun to follow along with. That isn't to say that house hasn't had a good maturity standpoint. Like, I mean, in he's, he's such a, you can strike lightning in a bottle when you're working with a high school kid like that. So I think for good reason, that could be a guy that you're looking for. If Trevor Story's on his way out and you need a long-term fill, there's always a, candidacy there but I feel like we've already done this with Brendan Rodgers when we've been really waiting on a middle infielder trying to pull it together and that's not to say that's a bad thing I understand Rodgers was a college guy and maturing through that system but I think it could do wonders especially when we look at Jordan Sheffield was a Vanderbilt guy and now all of a sudden being a lot I mean he could easily be one of the premier pitchers in the Rockies bullpen right now and he wasn't even a homegrown guy. That was somebody that bounced all over. I get, you know, we're talking about Dodger development and then Rule 5 sure. draft. There's a lot of layers to it. But I they think they come that... out very well prepared out of Vanderbilt, though. Yeah, like exactly. it's, it's not a coincidence that you can name. I'm just thinking you, you missed Walker Bueller, you know, out of that, too. So, <laughs> That's right. like, that when you start being able to list upwards of a dozen pitchers to come from the same program, and that program is still intact, as we discussed today. They're doing something right, so you at least trust the results uh, to to resonate if you make the pick again from a Vanderbilt pitcher. Sure, and I think that I mean that's certainly not a knock on Brady House by any means because you know maybe he could be the next best thing, and if you really pick a good high school player, you're in a great position. But I don't really know if the Rockies can afford to take too many chances, and especially when we don't even really know who the GM is right now. There's so much turmoil going on within the front office. I think that it would be a very safe pick to go out and pick a big-time SEC pitcher. And I think that, you know, not that you should play it conservative. I don't think anybody's going to be disappointed if he makes his way to Denver. But I feel as though the Rockies at this point, I don't know if they're going to try to take too many heavy chances just because there is so much uncertainty going on within the front office. And if you're able to get a guy that at least – from a standpoint of this is the ceiling that we think that he can certainly stand at. 
I remember early on, people were wondering, is it going to be Lighter or Kumar that's going to be one and two? I mean, that's, yeah, I who's one that's, out of the two? Yeah, on the same pitching staff. But I think yeah. that it's cool that, you know, the two that have really been able to feed off of each other. I would take Kumar Rocker because he kind of learned what it was like to not be the star this year just because mm-hmm. Jack Leiter was throwing as well as he was. And I think that can really do wonders for somebody's maturity. And yeah. you mix on top of that just traditional Vanderbilt development. I think that that could instantly jumpstart the organization. I think that it's going to be really interesting, I guess, if I take it a different angle. I wonder if this first pick is going to explain the extent of the rebuild that the Rockies are going to really try to enter into. Because if you take a guy like Brady House, your top two picks last year were also high school players, and that could cement it as the Rockies are really playing the long game if they try to go out and get another young guy. We're talking 2024 now. Sure. And that makes me wonder, too, you know, is the window not going to be ready by the time that Kumar Rocker makes it into the big leagues? And at what point do you start chipping into his service time? So that's a lot. I mean, for an interim GM, man, that's a lot of expectations going on right now. Yeah, you're going to need a lot of patience accepting that position because there's not a whole lot of a bridge in between the two. Um, We could look at some college bats, too. I mean, we we touched on the, the college pitching, and that's pretty heavy in the top 10, as is the high school shortstop side. But Henry Davis out of Louisville, um, Colton Kowser out of Sam Houston, Sam Frelick, or excuse me, Sal Frelick out of Boston College has been a pretty common name. Um, Matt McLean, as I mentioned too, I mean, he came in with a lot of expectations at the start of the draft, or excuse me, at the start of uh, the mock draft season. He's dipped a bit, but I mean, there's some big college bats in that top 15. Um so is there anybody out of that group or maybe outside of that group that intrigues you on who the Rockies may be able to pick at eight? You know, I think it's funny because the framework, at least with MLB.com's top 10, Henry Davis being the catcher out of Louisville, mm-hmm. we went out and got Drew Romo as a catcher. Willie McIver's doing really well in the Rockies system right now. <laughs> yeah, we I don't need a catcher anymore. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, out of the middle of nowhere, all of a sudden the Rockies <laughs> have catching depth. So that's not to say that would be a bad thing. I feel like with a pick like this, you're more picking their bat as opposed to their defensive prowess. Um, Sal Frelick, outfielder. Again, we went out and got Zach Veen in the first round. So at what point do you try to really try to mitigate what's going on? Frelick's interesting to me. Just just to to point on that real quick, he reminds me a lot of Charlie Blackman. When Blackman was in the (laughs) minors, it was just you would hear – these tall tales of these weird athletic abilities that Charlie Blackman was displaying. And it's like something about this guy Blackman, he can just hit, he keeps on producing, and there's this crazy athleticism to him that we just don't see with everybody else. And Frelick is kind of that same way from scouting reports too. So he's at least interesting. That's It's fun to see, I mean, especially when you look at the depth within the respective organizations. Where is Fresno standing at right now? Where is Spokane at? Where is Hartford? I wonder if, you know, there's, there's something to be said about just successes at the minor league levels. I realize wins don't necessarily really matter in the grand scheme of minor leagues. But, you know, as far as player morale is concerned, you want to have a comprehensive team that can really continue to win just because, I mean, not that it's essential, but that's an easy way to make everybody kind of happy in the big picture. So I've wondered as far as where is the, where is Hartford deficient right now? If that ends up being the kind of thing, let's say Sal Frelick fits into that mold and we could just kind of project him as we want you to get into Hartford as soon as possible, just to kind of fill the pieces because this is 
no matter how we want to call it, this is a rebuilding organization. The Rockies' road performance will show that wholeheartedly. Yeah. Of course, yeah, this that's an easy thing to say after we just swept the Pirates, but, I mean, it is what it is. Sure. Um, I think that looking, I, it's fun to see, especially kind of interpreting this as a bunch of puzzle pieces that really are going to fit into the different marks in the minors. Right now, Fresno is playing extremely well. So the Rockies seem to be showing that as a collective group, they've got a pretty solid group at low A. But if you look at the winning records of, I mean, just the recent performances of AAA and AA, it seems like there are continual pieces that aren't quite coming together to show the cohesiveness that some other organizations are showing. So I get, you know, AAA is a little bit of a different strategy because this is the next in line and it's kind of just the first in picking of what the big league club needs. Yep. And from there, you're not trying to create a masterpiece of a puzzle really coming together as much as you're trying to just make big league ready guys that you can readily select. But I do really feel like it would be interesting to take a look at where are the extreme double-A needs at this present point in time. And if the Rockies consider there is something that they really need, let's say they need an outfielder. Let's say there's some deficiency that they want to at least create some cemented action for. Sal Frelick could be that kind of guy that could expedite more of a comprehensive picture within the minor leagues. And that way we're not looking at an extreme high school heavy first round history over the past couple of years. Because if that's the case, you know, we could expect Fresno to continue to dominate for quite some time, and then we continue to see recurring deficiencies. But if we're able to at least create some comprehensive picture, I think that could create a little bit more, I guess, enjoyability at the very least, just to be yeah. able to see, you know, if we're able to see some higher level successes. Well, I think that um, it, it would be unfair to expect someone like Frelick to go straight into AA. But to your point, um, as the Fresno group starts getting older, Frelick might already be more advanced than they are as soon as he enters the system. So he might sure. be in Spokane. And by the time Veen and Romo and that whole Fresno group gets to Spokane, he might already be in Hartford. So now he is at the forefront of that wave of talent coming forward to the to the, the big league club. So I think it could be a great bridge guy. Um, and you know, Zach Veen can't play outfield by himself. So there's three spots to fill out there. Um, yes. and Hey man, you know, if you, if you look at him and you say this dude has solid athleticism and he hits like Michael Conforto, I'm fine. If that's, if that's the true <laughs> opinion of, of who you think you're going for and you believe that he's worthy of a number eight pick, just, you know, all things aside draft pool, 39 rounds after this. If you think that he's the best player available at eight or you have a very strong opinion of him and he also is able to fill that forefront of the, the talent wave that's coming in the next couple of years, I think that that's a, that's a solid addition. Um, so I'd be, I'd be very excited if they did go with a college bat that they really believed in. My last question to you is Jackson Joe. So let's say you're top seven. They're all gone. Oh, you're right. going to lay this on me? Oh, no. So if we're looking at it, <laughs> your favorite college hitter, all of these premier shortstops, the Vanderbilt guys, they're all gone. And you have Jackson Job or whoever else is lower. With the Rockies' high school pitching history, as you mentioned <laughs> with Pine Castellani, and, and Job has great grades on his stuff. I mean, he has some of the highest graded stuff in the draft. There's a reason why he's in that top five on every mock. Do you do it as the Rockies? Do you believe in the system? Do you believe in the player and the profile? I I knew this was going to come. I knew this was coming, man. Oh, goodness. Fair question. 
I mean, no, you're, you're exactly right. That's spot on. The sad thing is, I think this is actually going to happen. Like, honestly, yeah. I mean, I understand that I, it's, it's too hard to really know. I think this is going to happen, which is just killing me. Because to tell you the truth, I'm actually surprised that Kumar Racker is placed behind Jackson Job. I don't know if that's just, I'm a big fan of the guy from Vanderbilt, but sure. I, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I would, jeez, you know, the pitching depth is something that you, when we, I'm, I'm kind of sick of just continually looking at the pipeline of the Rockies rankings. There aren't many, I mean, there, I guess there aren't many really players in the top 100 for the Rockies right now, but the ones that we do have, or at least at the top of the line of what the Rockies are looking at, I could, I get somewhat concerned not knowing the uncertainty after Ryan Rowson yeah. and I don't know if a high school player is going to really expedite the process in the immediacy. Not that you need immediacy. Of course, you're kind of playing the long game right now, especially while the Dodgers and the Padres are at the top of the division. But, oh, man. I'm, I'm beating around the bush heavy right yeah. now. I'm so sorry. Personally, personally I just don't think it's <laughs> worth the risk for the Rockies right now. Like, I, I would second that, honestly. You, you run I, the risk of passing on a Kershaw, which we've already done once yes. before. But the problem is if you do – uh, Jackson Job, and this really it hurts me to say it, but it's more the fact that I don't trust the Rockies than any problem that I have with Jackson Job. You and might be right there. If you just watch Riley Pint retire, Castellani has turned into a dumpster fire. We also lost a couple of former first round pitching prospects through retirement from injury as well. You're thin already, and if you whiff on your number eight pick in this draft, that's only going to set you back further. So it's it's one thing if we're talking about picking in the last third of the first round. If this is the 2018 draft where the Rockies were legit, take a flyer. See what happens. Sure. I mean, that's where we got Rollison was out of that. Go get yourself so, a scratch ticket, yeah. Yeah, but now, you know, that's the time to take a chance with it. With the way that the Rockies, the hole that they have dug themselves in, if you push back the 2023-2024 timeline even further because you just wasted a first-round pick in 2021 – well, you can't really afford to do that because now we're talking about 26, 27 being, being the time where it maybe comes around because the Rockies have some bats, but no pitching behind it. So, <laughs> like, it, it hurts to say that you just can't take that risk, but the Rockies haven't earned my trust in being able to create talent out of the high school pitching ranks. So I'd probably pass, and I'd be sad watching a Hall of Famer pitching for somebody else <laughs> because that could be the way I've, I've, I've been there before. So... Sure, and I guess, I mean, you put the shoe on the other foot, too, and you start to think, you know, if the Rockies get Jackson Job, who's to say that the Tigers wouldn't? I mean, if the Tigers take him at number three, for example. Sure. Pretty comprehensive developmental system. They've got a lot of young pitchers that are in their rotation right now. I, I look at it going, you know, Jordan Sheffield is one of the top relievers in the Rockies bullpen right now, and he wasn't even a homegrown guy. So, again, not here to bash the Rockies' developmental system by any means, but I think that it's really interesting to see that, you know, you kind of failed on Riley Pint. You seem to have failed on Ryan Castellani right now. I think that if you go out and take a high school pitcher, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure, and everybody's going to be on eggshells about we need this kid to pan out. And I think that's not a very reputable way to develop success, just upon the recent history. Let's say the Rockies in some... In, in some forsaken way, have a really good pitching development system. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily to say that Jackson Job would always hit gold with it. I mean, some people aren't just going to, they're just not going to pan out. It's just the nature of the, how it is. And that's one of the yeah. toughest realities of this. But 
with the uncertainty, I feel like if the Rockies went out and got Jackson Job and it didn't work, that would be so much more demoralizing just because it's a, it's another page in the chapter of what hasn't worked in the past. Yeah. So I would I would agree with you for that sole purpose. It's there's a lot of risk involved and that's not even risk within the individual player. That's risk for the entire comprehensive pitching development. And there's that's scary. Like seriously. I mean at that point then you're starting to kind of point fingers at your pitching coordinators, you're starting to point fingers at I mean potentially teammates that are saying how are you getting here? People might be trying to pursue outside help just if this is the microcosm of what they realize they're working with and I don't know if the Rockies necessarily want to open that door. Not that they want to play peacemaker so much, but all of a sudden, if Jackson Job is selected, he is created with a t- with a target on his back throughout the entire system. Totally. And if yeah. it doesn't work for him, you know that's that's going to create huge ripples, and I don't think that's a risk that the team should take on right now. Yeah, the timing would be really poor following the Pint retirement and just kind of the the disarray of the franchise a little bit. Um, you know, it, it could work. It absolutely could work, and if they have the belief and maybe you bring in a new front office who has a different plan and that plan really gets executed to a T, great. But if it blows up in your face, man, that's a whole can of worms that the Rockies are trying not to have. So it's super, super risky, and it's hard to see the Rockies not being gun-shy at least this year. And it's one guy, too. It's not like we're talking about eight high school pitchers that are littering the top ten. It's, sure. If you have the chance for this one who is – consensusly or uh you know the consensus says that he is worthy of that top 10 pick maybe you let that one slide you know because you have some other options around it too so we jumped on zach veen i don't think you jump on jackson job in my in my at least and especially too i mean let's say if ty madden is available let's just yep i would imagine that if jackson job is available at number eight sure i would think that those guys might be getting taken earlier on for maybe the same reasons but yeah jordan wicks time, is a pretty safe deal we've gotten that's two right. of him already in freeland and rollison so they're safer <laughs> bets you know if only if, if there's somebody out there that's digging deep into the purple Row podcast archives like 20 to 25 years removed and is looking at all the hall of fame voting you know they can put together the time machine to the quantum mechanics to give us some general idea. Seriously, that's my kind of draft strategy. Twenty five years from now, right someone's now. twenty five years from now, someone's <laughs> pounding the table like this idiot said not to take Jackson Joe. Come on. <laughs> that's the thing. That's part of the reason I hate draft analysis sometimes, is because you can just expose yourself in oh. a hurry once you see what happens. It's a total crapshoot. I mean, it, you you make your best educated decision, but Hey, you could have Brandon Wood. It was like everything was really, really good there for five <laughs> years, and then he got to the majors and he couldn't hit. So, you know, it, you, you run the risk no matter him. who you're taking. <laughs> it's just so much crazy business. Anyways, all of these picks are going to be taking place in Denver. So we've got a lot to be looking forward to, and for good reason. You know, even if you're just a Rockies fan, taking a look at pick number eight, you know, this is a good time to definitely familiarize yourself with the draft. Even if you want to wake, make your way down to the Belco Theater, check out some of these picks. Rolling out an NFL draft style configuration this year for the MLB draft. Um, first time since 2011 that the draft is making its way out of the MLB Network studios. So just a very cool setup, and once again, just a really cool time to be a rock or to be a baseball fan, much less a Rockies fan in Colorado. Yep. We are going to take a short break. Coming up next is a new segment that we're going to call the Power Through section. 
never done this before and we're, we haven't rehearsed this either so we'll see how the hell this pans out <laughs> we'll cover five top performers in one minute or less we're gonna go rapid fire just drop a bunch of names that you might want to familiar familiarize yourself with right now excuse me a lot of rapid fire insights coming up don't go anywhere you're listening to the purple row pebble report podcast It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Purple Row Pebble Report podcast. Welcome to the newest segment that we are going to call the Power Through Section. Our goal is to keep this one one minute or less. Coming at you real quick, Twitch. We're going to roll through five players that have put together some noteworthy performances in the past few days. I don't really have much of a more comprehensive interlude than that right there. We're going to turn it over to Kenneth. You want to get us started right here? Yep, so I'm going to start with Sam Weatherly. He's basically been Nuke Lelouch in our system. He has the highest <laughs> K rate in the system at 34.9%, and he also has the highest walk rate in the system at 13.8%. So it's electric, but nobody knows where it's going. So much stuff. Check that one out whenever he's on the mound, though. That'll be fun to watch. I'll go over to the hitting side. Coco Montez, currently with a batting slash 293, 356, 460. Weighted runs created are 123, and he has the third highest batting average on balls in play. Maybe he'll tame off a little bit because he's just kind of finding holes in the field, but at the same time, he's put together a pretty solid approach at this point. Certainly, yeah. goodness, we're going to blow the one minute. I just stumbled over my words. Oh, Coco, no, he puts the ball so in play a lot, and it's finding <laughs> a lot of holes. There we go. Maybe he's not going to find holes, but you know, <laughs> check that out. We'll see if he keeps up his offensive figures. <laughs> Next one I want to touch on is Carl Kaufman. So he got promoted from Spokane to Hartford um, in uh, June, and it's been uh, it's been bad. It's been real bad. So he's got seven games started at a 9.35 ERA. In his 26 innings pitched, he's only walked 11 and given up three home runs, so it's not the worst, but he has given up 49 hits, so he's getting chilled. Uh, he hasn't quite performed in double-A as we hoped. All the more concern, I guess you start looking draft perspective. Maybe there's going to be some pitching candidacy if Kaufman doesn't come out. Maybe he'll pull out together, too. He's starting to get his feet wet in double-A. Yep. I'll go over to triple-A, marquee guy, Connor Joe, the favorite of a whole lot of people since his our recent boy. demotion. Our guy. Get a t-shirt on Purple Row, by the way. Since his recent big league demotion, he's been doing very well in triple-A. He's hit three bombs over four games, six for 16, five RBIs, struck out three times in 16 at-bats, walked twice. Pretty solid. We're looking at some pretty good depth. Maybe we'll see him back up in the meantime, but a lot of upside looking in the AAA ranks with Connor Joe right now. Call up Connor Joe. Moral of that story. <laughs> uh, we want to finish with Helkers Olivares. So this is somebody who's been on a lot of fans' radars. He was in the spring training. He is a 40-man roster guy as well. Super electric lefty. Personally reminds me of Franklin Morales. So you know, you what you're, what you're, what you're getting when you remember the Frank Mo days. But uh, <laughs> his last two starts, he's been super solid. He's got 10 innings pitched. He's only given up three hits, two earned runs, six walks, and 18 Ks. One of those came on a five-inning performance where he had no walks and struck out 11. So he's showing that electricity. 
problem is, his previous two starts before that, he got absolutely hammered. He went only eight and two-thirds innings in those two starts with 17 hits surrendered and 16 earned runs given up. So two really bad starts, two really good starts since. So he's rebounded, and we're still seeing at least that that electricity is there for Oliveris, which is a very encouraging sign. You never know what you're going to get out of that guy. And, man, you're throwing out the Franklin Morales comparisons. It's Frank Mo. nostalgic. Man, I'm going to get emotional over here. Those were my days right there. <laughs> and there we go. Stop the clock. I really wasn't keeping a timer, so I don't. I actually don't think that was actually 60 seconds. But, hey, it's about the content, people. That's what we're here to provide. <laughs> I think I cost us a good 10 to 15 seconds there, my bad. It was the solid 10 rendition. to 15 seconds of analysis, all right? <laughs> The first rendition, we're up in the ante as we keep moving forward. We might actually have to implement a clock here moving on. (laughs) We do have one hitter that we're going to hit on a little bit more in depth. This guy has absolutely dominated as of late and has earned himself the spotlight on this rendition of the show. That is 19-year-old Ezekiel Tovar, currently tearing apart Loe Fresno. He's been in the Rocky system since 2018 when he was 16 years old. He's currently got his career-best WRC+, career-best walk percentage and strikeout percentage, and outside of his work in the Dominican Summer League when he first entered the Rocky system, he is posting career figures across the batting slash. So a whole lot of upside. He's got an OPS of 876, which the kids like to call that really good. You know, that's that's no joke. Not he bad. Off, <laughs> he's coming off just an lights out series against the Vesalia Rawhide. He had an average of 476. So in those six games, he put together a real comprehensive. He went 10 for 21. All sorts of action. He's not necessarily relying heavily on the extra base hits, but, you know, he also weighs like 165 pounds too. So we maybe I'm thinking very much kind of a Rymel Tapia style if you put him in the infield. That's kind of what you're looking at with a guy like Ezekiel Tovar. And, again, you know, we talked about the draft analysis. Maybe that first-round selection is going to really give us a perspective on how the Rockies are going to develop their guys or how they're going to really attack the next couple years. When we look at Ezekiel Tovar, middle infielder, Trevor Story's future with the Rockies is really in question. Whether or not we want to admit it or not, there is a question there. Do you think that Ezekiel Tovar, weighing 165 pounds soaking wet, you know, it's awesome, electrifying, fun to watch, but do you think that this is a guy that could really shape the direction of the organization? I think he's absolutely a future piece, or at least he's making that case right now. Um, He was very well regarded heading into the season. Um, He was pretty much the top shortstop in the minor league system. So it's not a huge surprise to see him being successful because there were pretty good expectations on him in the first place. Uh, The real surprising part about it, though, is he has really elevated his game this year to the point where you're now kind of starting to pencil him in on a future lineup basis. You know, by the time the story saga is over, um, Tovar has put himself in a position to at least be really knocking on the door of being with the Rockies in the immediate future. And I think that's a very encouraging development. Um, From his size, from his frame, you kind of looked at him as a light bat, maybe an empty calorie producer a little bit, in the sense that you can say that about Rymel Tapia. In an age where it's all about launch angle and power, Tapia is just a contact machine who reaches base on a consistent basis, and we're seeing a different kind of star within the Rockies organization right now. And Tovar was kind of looking that way. But this year, he's elevated his slugging percentage to 505. His career high previously was 354. 
So he's now raised it up to a 387 career slugging percentage in the minor leagues. So something has come around with the bat to really start doing damage for extra bases. And the other big point about it, though, is he has the lowest K percentage in the Rockies minor league system at 14.4%. So you're having a good approach. You're having the guy who's already shown the ability with the bat, but now he's starting to do more damage for extra bases with the bat while also being a consensus can stick at shortstop type of prospect. So the worst thing, you know, we don't know what the future is going to hold. Can he, can he sustain it? You hope so. But we're now seeing somebody flourish in front of our eyes to where they're going to be a national top 100 consideration type prospect. And the Rockies haven't been producing a lot of those since they graduated those big Freeland, Gray, Story, Arenado classes from the system before. So he's a very important piece in the development of this system as a whole on the top end talent side. I thought that it was very interesting and very good stuff talking about that slugging percentage. His recent series with Visalia, he had 10 hits, two of them were doubles, and one of them was a bomb. I think that's the kind of guy he could definitely leg a single into a double, so maybe those are a little bit misleading as far as power figures, but sure. just the micro analysis of that series last week, he it didn't really show a whole lot of offensive just power, but he also has seven home runs this year. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in six, seven of his 62 hits this year are home runs. So as I was scrolling through and I was just doing some basic analysis going, let's see what he's done in the last six days. I thought that it was really misleading taking a look at, you know, this is a guy that could really show some deceptive pop. And especially within his size, of course, you know, we'll see some we'll see some power out of Rymel Tapia occasionally. And that's sure. just the nature of, you know, if you run into a good hit baseball, that's the way it's going to go. But, you know, he's definitely getting the job done in that department. And I thought that it was really interesting to see just the versatility from a, just a routine middle, I shouldn't say routine middle infielder, but a smaller, like you say, kind of an yeah. empty calorie hitter. You know, he's still being able to put together a lot of this and just to be able to see that it comes with the speed associated with it. You know, I don't really think that there's just an empty belief that he's always going to end at first base. And we've seen that with what he's been able to do hitting for power. You know, this could be the guy that's definitely making his way into the gaps and inevitably in a place like Coors Field where when you're dealing with such an expansive real estate and let's say the continual wake of shifts in the infield, you need him to cover a lot more ground. Or even if he truly is as quick as he is, if you want to start kind of giving him some reps in the outfield to take something like that. I think that there is a lot of versatility involved. I realize you don't want to get him uncomfortable, especially when he's such a young guy at this point. You don't want to put too much on his plate as far as moving him around the field. But there's a lot of versatility around here, and that was something that I was curious about looking at. You know, sure, if Trevor Story departs, there's going to be a whole lot of adjustments throughout all the organizational levels. It's just going to be probably a domino effect trying to see how this comes through. But, you know... Ezekiel Tovar is in low A right now, and I don't think that it's necessarily right to pigeonhole him in any regard, but I don't think he needs to either. But he's also doing really well doing what he's doing right now. So how much do you really want to alter that? And, you know, he's 19 years old. Like, there's so many kind of curious maturity questions. He certainly seems to be displaying that he is a mature kind of guy. But when he weighs as 162 pounds, I don't mean to keep bringing this up. by The soaking wet 162. Yeah. And I think it's awesome, you know, like for the same reasons I wanted the Rockies to draft Max Meyer last year. That's part of the same reason I love watching Ezekiel Tovar. Is there any questions as far as longevity is concerned? I realize, you know, we're starting to kind of push the dog days of summer and he still continues to do well. Is this a guy that you might kind of see getting burnt out or is there going to be like some workload management that we kind of have to enter into? Or 
Is this something that you just kind of keep rolling him out day in and day out? He's been used to these routines since he was 17. I know this is kind of an empty kind of question going, you know, it's really easy to just dismiss it saying he's really light, but I guess where do you stand on that kind of thing? It's not an empty question. I think it's a very valid question because his previous high or season high in games played was 73 games in 2019. And as you mentioned, he is 19 years old, and that's two years younger than the league average in Fresno right now. So he's a younger guy who already has 46 games, so he's quickly approaching reaching his highest game total in an entire season. And we're seeing a little bit more strength being part of the package now. Now, it's encouraging because he's still doing everything he did well before. He's got 13 stolen bags. He's still putting the ball in play at a high clip and and reaching base solidly. So he's still the same good guy, but with a lot of power. How long is that power going to start sticking around? Is he going to be able to sustain that over 100 games in the minor league season? Is that K rate going to really dip when he hits that bad cold streak and reaches that slump? Is that 14.5% now going to be, you know, reaching into the 20 to 25 range? So it's valid questions. And I think that the second half of his season is really going to determine just how high he goes in not only the Rockies' opinion, internal opinion of their player, but also kind of on the national side of things. Because if we see him do this for an entire season, reach the best power numbers that he's ever had, maintain high contact and good speed while playing solid defense, and do it over the course of an entire, over a full season, so the most games he's ever played, now we're looking at somebody where all of a sudden, hey, this is the number four, for prospect in the Rockies organization. This is the top perp because Rollison just graduated or something like that. Those conversations really start coming up at that point. So it remains to be seen. But if he does keep it up, that's going to be a huge, huge boon for this system because that's a that's a diamond that we just kind of got in the rough with him. Sure, and I think there's something to be said, especially, you know, he's been able to prove himself since he was in the system at 16 years old. So this Mm -hmm. is a guy, you know, it's not so much a high school kid that's adapting to the professional norms. I feel like you are kind of dealing with a little bit more of a refined product. I understand that it might be, you know, you're still working with somebody in a similar age group, but somebody that's been used to minor league norms as opposed to, let's say you took me out of high school when I was 18. Mm -hmm. Sure, I was familiar. I was putting in the work. I would have been readily aware of what goes into it, but you don't really get it until you experience it. And I also, I mean, continually talking about the COVID year that took away minor league action from so many people. I really wonder if he had a full season under his belt in 2020, how would that have affected his 2021? It's I mean, especially taking a look at, like you mentioned, his power numbers and how he's able to really show what he's been able to do. I do think that there is a chance that it's been the perfect recipe of 2021 for him just because he's been able to recover as much as he is and he's just been tearing the cover off the ball, at least in, or tearing the contact cover off the ball sometimes. But it's interesting to follow. I really wish, I mean, for multiple reasons, I wish that we had minor league action last year. But one of the primary guys that I look at, maybe it actually helped was Ezekiel Tovar. Do you think that we would be looking at a different kind of situation, or is a lot of this, you know, dare I say, is it over-projected because he didn't have to play a whole lot last year? I think that if we, there's a very good chance that we could have seen this streak last year, and now the future excitement that we're kind of, you know, clenching our teeth for is what would have entered this season when we bring up Tovar's name. So maybe it's just that we had to wait a year to see that progress. Maybe that strength, maybe that approach had come around already, and we just didn't have the chance to see it in 2020. 
Um, so it's it's the breakout. It's the party for him right now. Um, it's going to be a matter of sustainability. And, you know, I think 2020 missing an entire season doesn't do him any favors on keeping that sustainability. Um, I will point out, too, that there are a little bit of red flags going on with it. Guess what his walk rate is? Just throw something out there. Goodness, is it like... Well, you bring it up, so I'm guessing it's probably not very good. I mean, I guess for that sake. Yeah. I'll go with 10. I'll, uh, I'll 3.3. Jeez. 3.3% walk rate right now. And a 340 BABIP. He does have high BABIP, and these are hitter-friendly parks that he's he's rolling around into. So that's a little bit more forgivable, but... A 3.3 walk rate. I mean, Josh Fuentes blushes at that. So that is, <laughs> you know, that th- there are some things that how sustainable is it going to be? But this is the time to learn these things in the minor leagues. We're not talking sure. about Brendan Rodgers in the major league still doing, the, you know, these problematic things. It's Tovar, 19 years old, getting his feet wet in the most games he's ever played. So this at least is giving you good takeaways on what could be coming in the future. Maybe we're seeing a year late because we missed 2020, but at least we're seeing some positive developments going on for him right now. Sure. And there's definitely nothing at this point that suggests he hasn't been doing his job. He's been one of the more fun guys to watch throughout this entire system. This has been a guy that we've kept an eye on over the last several weeks going, we need to do a feature on him because he's doing really well. And Earned it. Not, not that we were waiting for him to cool down, but he just hasn't cooled down. And it got yeah. to the point where, like, yeah, we need to give this guy the spotlight. He's absolutely nominating right now. So certainly, I mean, I guess on behalf of everybody at the crew here, we're hoping for the best, and we really would love to be able to see him continuing to dominate. This is a guy, ever since Isaac Collins was called up to Spokane's, Ezekiel Tovar has certainly stepped in to be able to dominate that middle infielding role. And a lot of excitement at the lower levels within middle infield prospects right now. It's going to be fun to follow along with. And definitely somebody, Ezekiel Tovar, circle the name, break out the highlighter, whatever it may be. Get a tattoo. Yeah, no kidding. You really want to commemorate this right here. Yeah, tattoo Ezekiel Tovar on your forearm right now. (laughs) And then when he's at Coors Field, you'll be like, back in the day, man. (laughs) Put a Fresno Grizzlies hat on him or something. (laughs) Anyways, a lot to look forward to as far as, you know, his performance in through July and August. That might be able to show a big representation of what to expect from him moving forward. But everything's pointing in the direction that he's definitely a guy to expect big things out of. And we're definitely looking forward to following this guy throughout his minor league development. With that being said, we're going to take another brief little break. We're going to close down. We'll go through our routine rundown for all four affiliates. The road ahead, the road behind him pick out our breakout player to watch which has quickly submitted itself as a pretty marquee feature of this podcast we've had some diverse good bad and ugly coming out of the breakout players so we'll name our next our next people in the lineage and then we'll send you guys off into the world hopefully with a lot of insights on mlb draft coverage a lot of cool stuff to follow along with with that being said we'll be right back you're listening to the purple Row pebble report podcast Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pebble Report podcast. This is the rundown where we look ahead, we look behind us, we'll go through all four affiliates. We may or may not be cracking a lot of minor league name jokes throughout this. That's kind of what we've adopted over this segment, I guess. We've been throwing a whole lot of new wrenches into this. <laughs> we'll start up at the top. Triple A Albuquerque last week at home versus the Tacoma Rainiers. They went two and four. Wasn't a great showing, but a lot of kind of interesting offensive setups as well as taking a look at what Albuquerque's bullpen was able to do. This week they are back at home with the El Paso Chihuahuas. 
Padres affiliate off day yesterday. Our recording date is July 1st, so Thursday. So today they open up that series. This is one of the two times this year where Albuquerque plays two consecutive series at home. So keep in mind the six-game series, the new configuration that minor leagues have adapted. But a lot of home cooking going on in Albuquerque. Very similar setup down there in AA Hartford. They're also at home for two consecutive series. Yard Goats getting a lot of home cooking. A lot of, a lot of grass that the Yard Goats get to eat right now, I guess, <laughs> up there in Hartford. <laughs> yeah, last week they went 2-4 and four at home versus the Richmond Flying Squirrels. This week at home versus the Altoona Curve. That's an interesting one. That's good. It's it, more of the traditional name, I guess. It does, but it pales in comparison now. Like Albuquerque used to be the Dukes, and now they're <laughs> the Isotopes, and you have the El Paso Chihuahuas, and there the you Flying go. Squirrels, and then you throw the curve. Like I get it. It's a you know it's a clever baseball name, but it it just can't compare to when you when you're getting the Yard Goats versus the Flying Squirrels. That's that brings that brings the best out of the kids yeah. right there, man. How do you how do you get excited <laughs> over the curve? I mean, they had a movie named after him, Trouble with the Curve. Yeah. Maybe. No, that's, that's, that's a total lie. That's just... No, I, I, going with <laughs> I mean, <laughs> congratulations. You are now in the bottom of the barrel of baseball movies, in my opinion. That's, that's the <laughs> connotation that I have with you, Altoona. Good that's job. That's the running joke. I hate to admit it. Every time I hear their name, I think of that damn movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, anything that I, makes you think of uh, Clint Eastwood and Justin Timberlake is doing something. <laughs> I hate to bash it. That's just that's just an awful movie, man. Yeah. It just really is. No, it's <laughs> I don't know. I, there's so many ones that are good baseball movies where you're just like, oh man, it's put me in that mood. And this one is just like watching somebody play out their fantasy about being involved <laughs> in baseball, and it's like you are boring. Yeah, watch. Well, they'll put Field of Dreams on, and I'm just crying my eyes out. And they're yeah. gonna follow it up with Trouble with the Curve. All right, uh, we're back. Yeah, to I'm like, oh, here. this poor man is senile. That's that's <laughs> what makes me sad out of it. All right. Oh goodness, man! I didn't even know we were gonna be talking about that movie. You never know what you're gonna get on the podcast, right here. <laughs> um, hi, A Spokane. We'll keep going down the list. Last week, Spokane went three and three against the Hillsboro Hops. This week, they are back at home versus the Tri City Dust Devils. There aren't many teams in this high-A Northwest region, and I feel like we've already used a lot of the same jokes for the Hops, the Dust Devils, the Aqua Sox. Like, we're, we're kind of running thin on joking material within high-A right now. I'm disappointed in Tri-City because they had the easy answer staring them right in the face, and instead of going with Dust Devils, they should have been the Tri-City Tasmanian Devils. Yeah, there you go. I mean, there might have been some, some marketing issues with Warner Brothers on that, but... <laughs> Whatever. I mean, like, fine, if you want to go with Dust Devils, that's that's cool. <laughs> I don't mean to turn this into the roasting session, but for any of you tuning in right now, type into Google right now, Tri-City Dust Devils logo, and just, I'll, I'm not going to tell you my opinion. I mean, you'll be able to probably tell it as soon as you, oh, def, Kenneth, is, we have a Zoom meeting going on between Kenneth and I, and he's looking it up right now. <laughs> I'm just following instructions, okay? <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I'm not great. gonna I'm not gonna share my opinion. All right, you guys are entitled to your own opinion, but you know, let's just put it this way: I'm not. I mean, it, it's gonna be noteworthy if you type it in and check it out. I mean, we'll we'll leave it at that. All right, you guys got some homework to do. Tri City Dust Devils logo. Let's just say it perils in comparison to Spokane. <laughs> I mean, whichever student drew it, they did a pretty decent job. <laughs> the keyword, whatever student drew it, right <laughs> yeah. there. there you go. I'm sure the school got a fund or something. <laughs> I mean, it stood the test of time. That's the thing. I mean, with all these rebrands going on, Tri City has just adopted. We're gonna, we're gonna stick with the kindergarten art fair project. I guess. <laughs> 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 but 
Oh, man. All right. I am sorry to anybody that loves that logo. Actually, no, I'm not sorry. It's absolutely atrocious. Let's just call it <laughs> Improve your taste. All right. <laughs> All right. Before anybody comes after me from the Tri-City area, we're going to go down to low A, Fresno. Come at us. Um, Step your game up. <laughs> Fresno went four and two last week against the Visalia Rawhide. Once again, Fresno playing very good. One of the hotter teams in the minor leagues right now. This week taking on the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes. That's a very a very interesting logo. A Q looking like it's shaking like an earthquake. Yeah. A lot of cool stuff. Hey man, I'm, I'm, I'm sold on Rancho Cucamonga. <laughs> Anytime you Cucamonga throw that at Quakes. Me. Yeah. That's, that's a mouthful right there, man. And it could be the Rancho <laughs> Cucamonga Kunquats. There you go. Yeah, tongue tied. They could be with the fault. That could be another earthquake play, but then that, that kind of sets yourself up for failure, I guess. The Rancho Cucamonga tectonic plates. <laughs> I wonder what that logo would be. I mean, I picture like the Minnesota Twins, the Minneapolis and St. Paul guy shaking hands. That would yeah. just be two tectonic plates yeah. pushing two against Two fault lines just trying <laughs> to beat each other out. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's interesting. We got a Rockies affiliate taking on the Quakes. So we got some mountainous kind of details. Maybe there's a Grizzly in the mountainous things, but, you know, I, I don't know where I was going with that. Goodness. We're They're just playing heavy on the, the geology-loving baseball crowd. <laughs> we offer a whole lot more than just baseball insights here on the show, man. The Rocky Mountain Minerals. <laughs> there you go. Um, we will again, speaking of which, I mean, just off the cuff, Rockies like history, the Denver bears. I was thinking, mm-hmm. oh, that's, yeah, that's an indigenous. Sure. I found out the, the, or the Denver bears and then the Denver Zephyrs were after that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that named after the train, like the California oh. Zephyr Amtrak train. I had no clue. I was just talking about it with Reno last, last show that we did. And I was like, that's actually a reasonable, like. I heard that a Zephyr is like a calm western wind, something basic. Yeah. Like, no, it's like a steel train. Like, that was awesome. I learned something today because I did not know <laughs> that either. Zephyr, I just, like, did a word association. I was like, it's probably like a blimp, like a Zephyr. Like a blimp, yeah. There you yeah. Go. I was thinking the same thing. I don't know. My uh, <laughs> my old high school coach, Tom Maloney, though, he was the GM of the Zephyrs before. Look at you. When they were at Denver. Man, you just continue to impress how connected you are with the. He gave me a first baseman's glove in high school, and I still use it this day to teach high schoolers, high school freshmen, <laughs> how to play first base. I break out the Maloney mitt so they get vintage. Learn. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. That's how you know you've been around and you know your stuff when you're getting a glove from the former minor league GM. Hey man, I love it. Shout out to the baseball <laughs> legend Tom Maloney, though. Man, that is awesome. <laughs> Um, anyways, Loe Fresno will again see our guy Ezekiel Tovar go to work against a Dodgers affiliate this week. So a lot of cool stuff to follow along with. Once again, there's the week behind us and a week ahead. We're going to have some interesting schedules as the MLB All-Star break approaches. The minor leagues kind of coincide a little bit different, so it's going to be interesting scheduling coming forward. Um, really interesting following the six-game series and how they at least go about, you know, Major League Baseball, the traditional four-game break that's going on. Feel free to take a look at all the schedules to take a look at how the minor leagues go about it. Very cool stuff seeing now that the season's been delayed one month, a little bit different once again, but a lot of cool stuff to look forward to. We're going to move ahead to the individuals that we are personally looking forward to. One player in the next week that could turn heads or do something cool. Here is our breakout player to watch. Kenneth, I'll turn it over to you. Who are you picking for this week? Um, so I'm going to circle back to uh, Helkers Oliveris, my, my Frank Moe Jr. Um <laughs> So we talked about it with Chris McMahon a couple of weeks back on really being able to rebound from two bad starts and then piece together two good starts. Um, The dominance that he can display is as impressive as anybody in the system. 
So there's a lot to like with with Oliveras on any given night, but the question is going to start becoming a matter of consistency. So I'm going to bank on him really turning it around with these last two stars because it has been a bit of a rough run for him so far this year. Um, but, you know, the, the previous two starts are an indication, but he's also having a 52.6, excuse me, 52.6% ground ball rate this year. Um, he's fallen victim to a bit of bad Babbitt luck with a 351 opposing Babbitt this season. So he's starting to find a way to, to miss bats and limit damage while also being able to get a little bit more punch outs along the way. So I'm banking on him kind of turning that corner and putting himself back into the upper echelon of our pitching prospects in the system. I think that it's a lot of fun being able to follow the roller coaster of what he's really been up to over these last couple starts. Like you mentioned, two starts ago, kind of dismal. His most recent two starts, very up, certainly on the up and coming right now. And again, a kind of guy in the same category of Ezekiel Tovar, young players that are really trying to cement themselves, and we'll see if they're able to have some prolonged success moving forward. Yep. I'm going to take a little bit of a different angle, kind of an under-the-radar pick from me this week. We're going to go to Double A Hartford. I'm going to pick Max George. He's had some decent showings as of late. I'm really kind of playing a hunch here. His average on the year is not particularly strong by any means, but his strikeouts are also high. His power could also be kind of turning a corner. He recently left the yard. Um, he doesn't have a whole lot of starts. His last outing was... June 27th, he did hit a, he did, I'm sorry, he hit a home run on the 26th the day before. So not a lot of offensive production, but I kind of liken this to a Sam Hilliard situation with two homers in his past three games. That's part of the reason that I really wanted to pick him. Maybe we're going to see some breakout stuff from the guy. Sure, the strikeouts are really high, but at the same time, he's starting to see the bat come together. And this is somebody that I think could really kind of turn a corner. Um, bounced around a lot of positions. He's taken reps as a catcher. Fangraphs listed as a second baseman. He recently turned 25, starting to fall into some regained minor league norms. He was drafted out of Regis High School in Colorado. There you go. Big Continental League shout out. Um, so anyways, this is his debut season in AA. Again, high school draft pick, no college. I think that return to minor league normalcy will do him well. And I think that those home runs in the recent scheme of things might be suggesting that he is turning that corner and maybe starting to right the ship from some of the strikeouts that he's had. Yep. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out too to uh, PJ Poland. Uh, he was one that we segmented, uh, I think, episode two, but one of those dominant relievers that we've had going through the system. He just got promoted to AA Hartford. So There you go. Um, you know, guys that we're keeping an eye on there, they're making their way up the system, so that's good to see. We've got a whole lot of pitching to be able to get, keep tabs on. There you go. We've got Olivares. We've got Poulin. We've got a whole lot of just excitement going on, or we've got a whole lot of at least excitement going on, like we mentioned earlier in the program. It's a very good time to be a baseball fan in Colorado right now. Yep, baseball so again, Rockies fan. And just one last plug, too. Check out Affected by Altitude, our other podcast. That's right. Network. Uh, Skyler, Mac, and Evan do an awesome job over there. So if you're giving us a listen, give them a listen, too. More Absolutely. The Very fun. Very fun to be able to follow along with what they've been doing and a lot of great content. It's a whole lot of fun to be able to see the Purple Row podcast really starting to take off once again. And really thrilled with a lot of the new staffers that we have on the on this show, it's re, or on this on this website with SB Nation. It's really cool to see a lot of this coming together and a lot of passionate people coming together talking about baseball, and also a lot of passionate people on all of our comments, following along with these podcasts, following along with all of our articles. Your insights are paramount in what we talk about on this podcast, might I add. So if there's somebody that you really are following along with and you want to be part of the conversation. Feel free to follow along with the Pebble Report articles that we're putting together. Feel free to follow any of us on Twitter. 
feel free to give us a shout out if you got any questions, if you got anything you want us to cover. Not to mention that, but especially the Affected by Altitude crew, they're definitely available on Twitter as well, and they'll put some good insights together. So speaking of Twitter, Kenneth is at KDub1988. Myself, I am at JustWick. And I always want to thank the SB Nation crew and our media friends throughout the minor leagues. A huge thank you, all of you guys, checking out another minor league recap. Looking forward to the huge content in the coming weeks as the Futures game and the draft approaches. Great time to be a minor league fan right now, so feel free to check out all of that Purple Row material. And on behalf of my co-host, Kenneth Weber, I am Justin Wick. Thanks for tuning in to the Purple Row Pebble Report podcast. Let's play ball. <laughs>